So, we are here, we've arrived, we've made it to Christmas. Hurrah! That crazy, busy, jam-packed time of stress and mayhem. Food, family, friends, carols, church, presents, films, songs, parties, all great stuff. Christmas is so much fun, isn't it? I love it. I love it. I just love the busyness. I love the hubbub. We're actually off on holiday as a family this week. First time we've been away at Christmas, but I'm just looking forward to going and being with the guys. But I love Christmas. I really do. And I, I think it's one of those things that you either love it or you hate it, if I'm being honest. And I love it. I think it's great. But I do find myself getting exhausted by the end of the Christmas holidays and thinking, right, need a holiday. So it's never a great way to start the year. And, but it is one of those times in the year that get, it's a great opportunity just to stop, to pause and reflect, to think about what matters in life, both personally, what matters to me, what's important, what's maybe some areas of life that I've neglected in this last year that I could just kind of could feature maybe a bit more on my radar in this coming year. What's, what am I about? What's important? What are some of the things that are going on in the world? It's just one of those moments, isn't it, where it gives us an opportunity to pause and ask some of life's important questions. John Lewis, they, they helped us um, with their great advert once again. Sorry, I'm just finding. Um, they helped us with one of their great adverts again this year, didn't they? To think, actually, it's great to stop and think about other people. I thought it was a really good advert, actually. Underneath the come and buy from us, I thought it was a great advert of, it's good. Christmas affords us a moment to stop and think of the other. To think of people who, for whom Christmas isn't fun and isn't exciting and isn't time with family. And maybe, maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're here and you think, I hate Christmas. I can't stand it. Maybe it's that time of year where, that, that you know Christmas is approaching and it's a marker in the year that, that causes you to go into depression or sadness of some kind, for maybe for many reasons, broken family, divorce, separation from kids, financial problems, work worries. It might be any number of reasons, but Christmas often has that kind of polarizing effect. You love it or you hate it. But it sure does give us an opportunity to pause. Just earlier in the week, I I happened across an interesting short article by a guy called Peter Wilby writing in The New Statesman. And this guy's an, a journalist, and he's an atheist, and he's a hardcore atheist, but he said this, nothing draws me more to religion than Christmas. That is not because I lose my atheist faith, but because I intensely dislike all the commercial baggage and babble that surrounds the festival. So, in a spirit of protest, and often this guy's writing, if there is an opposition position to have, he will take the opposition. I shall try to attend at least one carol service and possibly a midnight mass too, as well as listening at 3 p.m. sharp on Christmas Eve to the Radio 4 4 broadcast of the Festival of Nine Lessons and Carols from King's College, Cambridge. And when I read that, I thought, yeah, I'm looking forward to that too, and so will my boys be as we're at Centre Parks listening to the King's College carols. He went on to say, all religions have stories at their heart. And that is very true. People, human beings are people who who is centered around story. Our worldview is is not just ideas, 
but we have story in our cultures. Every culture is made up of stories. And he says, all religions also have stories at their heart. Christianity, to my mind, has the best. just want to remind you, this guy's an atheist. An omnipotent God who chooses to be incarnated as a human, born in the most humble circumstances imaginable. Whether or not we are believers, we should all celebrate that story in the coming days and ponder its meaning. I read that and thought, wow. Christmas really, truly does afford us an opportunity to reflect. And I, I just thought, respect. I genuinely thought respect, that actually just understanding the world is made up of stories. And, and Christmas tells a great story, doesn't it? And we know that as Christians. But, but maybe you're here this morning and you say, do you know what? I, I like Christmas. I don't like Christmas. But I don't believe in the story of Christmas. I don't believe in this, this God incarnate, come to live amongst us, come to dwell amongst us. I think it's just a bit like the John Lewis advert. You see, the John Lewis advert, we discovered finally that there is a man who lives in the moon. And, and, but maybe you say, well, actually, no, I think the Christmas story is as much of a, of, of a, as a myth as the man in the moon is. I don't, I don't believe God came and dwelt amongst us. Maybe that's you this morning. And you say, I just think Christianity, faith, actually religion of any kind is just fabled nonsense and it's fantasy thinking. It's just made up, just a, just a, a deluded perspective on life. And to wonder about things is to, live in a, is to delude ourselves. The very idea of God is fanciful. Maybe, maybe you're here this morning and you say, well, I'm okay with the idea of God, but we can't possibly know him, let alone have a relationship with him. In fact, we might be able to even kind of say that we believe, we, we can get to the point where we say God exists, but it's a bit like the girl on the advert with her telescope and the old guy on the advert with his telescope. We can only look at one another from a distance. Just look at the world, look at the mess of everything that's going on in the world, or maybe your life personally, and you say, there's no way that we can know God. Just look at the mess of things. Maybe some of you might be here and you say, I don't I'm okay with the idea of God. But if he is real, he is obviously disinterested. And what I want to do this morning is suggest to you that far be it from the Christian faith being just this myth, this fable, this legend, this fantasy idea that at its heart is a reality of truth that is profound and deep. It reminds me of a, of a story just talking about myth and fable, and the man on the moon, of a lady who was on holiday in Turkey, and she was doing her, uh, she was just shopping at a bazaar in Turkey, and, and she was just looking across the stalls, and she happened to, to go across this stallholder's stall, and on this stallholder's stall was a trinket that she picked up, and it was this quite pretty lamp, and so she went and bought it, she placed it in her bag, got back to her apartment, and later that evening, when she was back at her apartment, she picked it out and was looking at it, just realized it was a bit dirty, so she gave this lamp a rub clean. And as of course happens, poof, a genie appears from the lamp, as all good genies do when you rub the lamp. And she said to herself and to the genie, oh good, that means I get my three wishes. The genie sighed, he'd been in the bottle for a long time, he's a bit of a grump, and he said, Lady, I'm sorry, but because of downsizing, because of competition, fierce global competition, because of low wages, I'm afraid that I can only offer you one wish. 
So she said, that's fine. One wish is great. And so quick as a flash, she went over to her bag and she pulled out a map. And she showed it to the genie and she said, genie, I wish, with my one wish, I wish that these nations would have peace. The genie looked at the map and to the area she was pointing. And again, he let out a long sigh and he said, listen, lady, I'm pretty good at what I do. But you need to realize that these nations you've been pointing towards have been at war with one another for thousands of years. These nations in the Middle East have just, there's been hostility and strife. And although I'm quite good at what I do, I'm not that good. I'm afraid you're going to have to wish for something else. And so she furrowed her brow deep in thought for a moment. Then her eyes lit up and she said, I know, I've got it. Genie, I have, I wish, with my one wish that you've granted me, I wish for the perfect husband. You see, I've never found the perfect guy. What, Jeannie, what I wish for, I need to read this bit because it doesn't register with me. Um, I want a man who's considerate and fun, a man who likes cooking and helps with the cleaning, a man who is attractive, I get that bit, and gets on with my mother-in-law, staying silent, doesn't watch sports all the time and is faithful. Jeannie, I wish for the perfect husband. Again, the genie sighed, put out his hand, and said, okay, give me the map. (laughs) You see, for many people, the idea of the Christmas message is one of just fabled fantasy. It's one of man in the moon, one of genie in the lamp type of thinking. But what I want to suggest to you this morning is that the heart of the Christian message, which Christmas affords us a moment to pause and think about, is a message that is so profound, so deeply impacting, and so personal. And it's simply this. It's really the story of the Bible, which is God loves you. That is the heart of what we remember at Christmas, as we remember Christ coming and living amongst us, coming as a baby. The story really is this. God loves you. God loves you, the God of the universe, the God of creation, the God who made you and I and everything we see. He loves you deeply and profoundly. In John's gospel, he starts his gospel by saying four words that are probably the most poignant, important words ever written. He says this, the word became flesh. The word became flesh. Genuinely, quite possibly, the most important words that have ever been penned, the word God became flesh and he dwelt amongst us. So just wonder what your hope is this Christmas. Not not just what you're hoping for in your Christmas shopping list, but where's your hope? What's your hope in? Because for the Christian, the Christian hope is centered and located in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, which is why we celebrate and why we make much of him. And can I just say, I've loved both meetings this morning. I just thought there was a desire and a hunger to celebrate and just moments of, of, of praising and raising our voices and saying, Jesus, you're so worthy to be worshipped and adored and to have people clap and shout and sing and praise and dance because of who you are and what you have done. And this is a Christian hope that we have. And it's precisely this message of hope that the world needs. Global warming, terrorism, ISIS, Daesh, whatever you want to call it. 
Nations raging against nation. Hostility. Even when nations try to work together, hostility, a friction of hostility builds up amongst them and and they, they provoke one another. Poverty, global poverty. Children who still don't have clean water to drink. Drugs that are still withheld to help cure diseases that could easily be withheld for the name of profit. We live in a world where there is very little peace, but a lot of darkness. Or maybe for you more personally, it is that family's broken down. Marriage has broken down. Friendships are broken down. Your relationships at work have broken down. Your finance is in a mess. Or maybe sickness is suddenly featured in your life and you say, maybe it's not you maybe it's your children or your wife or your friend or a family member and and suddenly sickness is there or illness and you and it just feels like gosh life is anything but peaceful life is hard work but the christmas message the true christmas message tells us that there is hope that there is true peace that can be found and can be known it is not fanciful thinking it really isn't pie in the sky man in the moon genie in the lamp type of thinking. It's a peace that goes between man and God, man and man, and man and God's creation. This is the hope that we have. And that's why we love to sing about Jesus so much. It's why we love to celebrate him. It's why we, it's why we take time to do that and just to remind one another. You know when we're singing, we're not just singing to God. We're telling one another of what God's done for us. That's why we should look around when we worship and look at one another and go, hey, did you know God descended into our mess of our world and became flesh because he wanted to know you personally? Because he wanted relationship with you personally. I'd love to just for a moment read from Isaiah 9. If you'd like to turn there in your Bible or on your phone or something. Isaiah just is a prophet who was foretelling this message of hope. So long time before Jesus was born, Isaiah, a prophet, speak, writing and speaking by the Spirit of God, said about what this hope looks like. And he said this, chapter 9, verse 1, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he, that's God, has humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. So just to set the context, those um, those areas were areas of Israel that were in the top of the nation. And as the invading armies came from the north, um, and they would often come through Naphtali and Zebulun on their way to attack Jerusalem or on their way to attack other nations to the south of Israel. And so Zebulun and Naphtali would get the, the invading hordes coming and pillaging and looting and doing all kinds of terrible stuff on the way through. They would get decimated. The army would make it to where they were intending to go and wreak havoc and then when they return they come back through Naphtali and Zebulun and again wreak havoc in that place and so those places got the brute force of the powers to the north of Israel but here God is saying in the past that God's humbled those lands but in the future he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan and Galilee as we know was a place where Jesus started his ministry. How's God going to do this? The people walking in darkness, so the people in those lands where they're just under oppression at the hands of invading powers, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. 
You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you and as a people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. How's it going to happen? Because a light has dawned on people in darkness. A new day is coming. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. It's a declaration of peace. It's a declaration of peace is coming. How? These famous words, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government there will be no end. In effect saying, in the kingdom of this son that will be given, every day will be better than the last. That's what life is like in God's kingdom. Every day will be better than the last. That sentence, everlasting, or that statement, everlasting father, Isaiah isn't confusing his Trinitarian theology there. He's saying that Jesus is like a father in the sense of kingly father, a king who overlooks, a father who overlooks his family, his people, and provides for their needs and takes care of their safety. So in that sense, Jesus is our kingly father. How amazing are those words? He, Jesus, Isaiah is really pointing towards, he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forevermore. And it's the zeal of the Lord Almighty that will accomplish this. You see, just as John, at the start of his gospel, it says, For unto us a child has been born. Just as he says, the, sorry, just as John says in four simple words, the word became flesh. Isaiah is saying the same thing. For unto us a child has been born. Hundreds of years before, he was prophesying what would take place and that John and Luke and the other gospel writers agreed with and confirmed this surely happened. The word became flesh. Those are some amazing scriptures. You see, we're not just, when we talk about the Christian faith and the Christian hope, we're not just talking about fantasy. We're not talking about superstition or myth. We're talking about facts that have taken place, facts that were foretold, events that happened, and events that we can now look back and study. So what I want to do for a few moments is really just take us through a couple of points to say, okay, you're saying it's true, but you're saying that these, the Christian faith is not just a, a fable or a myth or a legend. You're saying it's a truth claim. So what I want to do is just to give us some reasons as to why it's true that we, we can go and think and dwell on. And for the Christian, if you're here this morning, these, these points are to build confidence in the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're to cause us to go and say, God, I thank you again for what you've done in sending your son. And maybe if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus yet, these points will just help you to, to kind of understand where's true north in the Christian life, in the life of a person. You see, as people, if you think of our life as a compass, the compass on 
Our life is just spinning wildly all over the place, looking for any fixed bearing point that will give us a hope, a meaning, a purpose in our life. And we, we kind of look for any north in any direction, anything that takes our fancy, anything that vaguely arouses our, our senses. We go, well, maybe that's north. But in the Christian hope, his true north is located on the person of Jesus Christ. He's true north. And so maybe these points would just help you to see where true north is in the reality of our life and world. So reason number one. One of the reasons that we have for this great hope that we have is that God came in actual human history. It's not just this Greek mythological kind of Greek pantheon of gods that there's these vague stories that are told about Jesus coming and it's, it's just like Greek myth and legend. No, God actually sent his son in human history. The gospel writers, Dr. Luke, they take painstaking care to make it really clear that Jesus was sent into human history. They talk about Caesar and Pontius Pilate and events that were going on at the time, making the point that Jesus came as a man born into real human history. Not just some, not just some pie-in-the-sky thinking. Not fluffy Easter bunny-type ideas, but a real person really born at a specific point in history. J. John, a well-known Christian evangelist, he tells a story of when he was giving a lecture at university one time, he was um, talking about having relationship with God and being loved by God and knowing God. And, and somebody heckled from the crowd. A guy heckled and said, J. John, tell me, have you ever actually seen God? To which J. John replied, no, I haven't seen him face to face with my eyes. But let me ask you a question. Have you ever seen Queen Victoria? And the young chap, of course, said, well, no, I haven't. J. John said to you, can I suggest that if you were born 150 years ago or so, you, would have seen, you could have gone to London and seen Queen Victoria with your own eyes. Likewise, if we were born 2,000 years ago, we could have gone to the land of Israel and that area, and we could have gone and seen God himself with our own eyes. You see, the gospel writers, they were true men at a point in history who saw God with their own eyes. To see Jesus is to see the face of God. And they're saying, hey, this guy, Jesus, came into actual human history. Dr. Luke was a man of science. He was fastidious about research and finding the detail and accuracies. He wanted to give an accurate, considered, investigated account of the birth of Jesus Christ. You see, the Christmas message is not one primarily of fanciful, wishful thinking. It's not one of wish fulfillment. Oh, there's just a kind of human being that that wishes that God exists, and so they delude themselves that God does, in fact, exist. It's not about a galaxy far, far away. It's about a truth, true event that actually happened that you can go and investigate. There is evidence that, that tells so clearly of the birth of this person called Jesus Christ, and you can investigate that. You can go today, we can point you to resource and have conversations with us that will help point you to the evidence for Jesus' birth into human history. And in this historic birth, God was claiming a stake. He was planting a stake for our attention in the ground. He's saying, hey, this historic birth, me sending my son to you, is because I want relationship with you. He was waving a flag of peace saying, I want relationship with you, my creation. God was initiating relationship with us, but in a way that we can scrutinize and investigate. He came 
in history. Secondly, God came in reality. One of the things that many people in this nation and across the world will be familiar with is the story of the nativity, the story, the circumstances surrounding Jesus' birth, that he was born in a stable placed in a manger. Not some king that was born in a highfalutin palace with servants on hand at every whim and every call and every idea, every moment hanging on his every word, ready to serve him, a bit like a genie. What can I do? What can I do? What can I do? No, Jesus came in the most humble of circumstances. We sang that great song earlier, didn't we? From the squalor of a borrowed stable. Jesus, as a baby, was born into the muck, the poo, the smells, the feed, the presence of animals in a small stable. And he was placed in the feeding trough of of animals for his bed. God of heaven, who took on flesh, knows what it is to live at the rough end of the street. He understands. He came into our reality. He didn't just come in and stand off from afar and say, I'm sorry, I can't help you. I'm sorry, I'm not touching that mess. He came into our reality. He knows what it is to suffer. He knows what it is to face persecution. He knows what it is to be betrayed. He knows what it is to be misunderstood, mocked, spat upon. Can I say, just remind you, God was prepared to enter a world with all the mess and darkness that you and I experience. This is the world that God entered, our life, our world. And he understands the mess that we're in. Maybe you've made your own mess in this last season. Maybe you're living in the mess that you've made, fall out of relationships, used money unwidely, spoke harshly to your husband or wife and are reaping the reward or consequence of that. Hey, God chose to come and dwell, to pitch his tent amongst us in the darkness in which we live. I love um, how just earlier in the week, if you saw the news, you will have heard that a certain member of our royal household in our nation, the Queen, decided that to, for her Christmas holidays from Buckingham Palace to Sandringham Place, she would catch public transport. And so she went to the train station and she bought her own ticket for £37.38, and 38 pence, I think. And she boarded the train with commuters, some of whom didn't even realize the Queen was on board the train. And she traveled up to Sandringham Palace to go and have her Christmas holidays with the family. And I just read that and I thought, wow, isn't that great that the Queen, Her Royal Highness, would would consider it might be wise to travel with the commoner, to get on a tube and even to buy her own tea. I just, didn't she do well? I I was so impressed and so saddened that that would make front page news. But But anyway, the queen came and travelled with the riffraff, but then went back to her palace, where things are just so. And I thought, hey, contrast that with the God who came and pitched his tent in the mess, the poo of this world. And he didn't just go back, he dwelt and he lived and he breathed and he worked and cared and had compassion and love alongside those whom he was living with. Jesus entered the world and experienced what you and I experience. Hey, isn't that such good news? That we don't have a God who's far off and distant, but one who's near and understands.
Do you know what that means? It means that God is not, he didn't come with religiousness. He didn't come saying, I'm, he didn't come just saying, look, you lot are bad. See, many people think that, that even when you hear about Jesus, he came and pointed out the issues with humanity. Do you know what? He, he kind of said there's a problem here, but he didn't come to say, you're all bad. He came to say, God loves you, and this is how he loves you, and he demonstrated what the love of God looks like. So to look at Jesus is to look at God and know what God is like. So if you want to know what God is like, read the accounts, read the gospels of the life of Jesus, and you will see the heart of who God is and what he has done. But, done. but the good news for us is it means that we likewise don't have to come with religious pretense or fake godliness. It means that you and I can come to God just as you are. Whether you've made a hash of your life, whether everything is broken and fallen down around you, God is not after you sorting it out so that you can come to him. No, he came and drew near to you without pretense, that you might draw near to him without pretense. That's good news. That's the kind of God that we need is one who knows what it is. One who understands our need and understands our weakness and empathizes with us. One who has compassion on us. So Jesus came in history. He came into our reality. Thirdly, he came in glory. So yes, he came in lowly circumstances. He was born in a manger. But you know, when, when, the, when he was born... Angels appeared to the shepherds on the hillside. Now, the shepherds were the guys who were the outcasts of society. They were never invited to the Christmas party. They were the ones that always had to stay back at the office to make sure things worked okay. They were the ones that nobody wanted to be associated with. They were literally the outcasts. They weren't allowed into the temple to worship God. They were unclean in their day. That's how they were perceived. And so these guys were the outcasts on the fringe of society. Literally kind of like the guys that you would avoid. And they spent their entire life out on the hillside looking after sheep. And God chose that his angels might come and appear in glory to them and declare with a, with a heavenly pronouncement, peace on earth, goodwill to men. God today in this, in this very place has borne his son for you, the hope of the whole world. And these, these men who were the lowest of the low were the ones who received the first invitation, come and worship. I just... I just want you to realize God coming in his glory. So he came low, but he came in his glory. And that means that regardless of where you think you are in the pecking order of society, it means God's come and he will reveal and he has revealed his glory to you. It's fascinating, the Apostle John again, he uses the imagery of light to talk about the glory of God. God chose to, to use light as a description of Jesus. And he said, we sung it earlier, he said, light of the world, you came down into darkness. The Apostle John, he put it like this, he is a light in our darkness. Jesus is a light in the darkness of this world. He's come in glory. Jesus is the light that has come into the world and the light shines into the darkness of this world, our lives. But the darkness has not, nor can it, overcome the light of Jesus. Now this picture of light is an amazing picture of what it is, of what Jesus is like. Because light brings clarity to us. And so the Christian faith is not one of confusion or delusion or, or myth and fable. It's not one of pretense and wish, wish fulfillment. It's one of truth and clarity and power. And you see, Jesus is the light and he comes into this world and he shines the light. And yes, in that light, he goes, look, this is a mess. 
This creation has become a mess. This creation that God made himself has turned into a mess. He shines, the light of Christ shines into our lives and it goes, wow, look, I've made a mess of my life. I've made a mess of my relationship with God. I've made a mess of my relationships with other people. And sure, the light points out we've made a mess, but he doesn't come to bring confusion over that. He comes to say, but I am the light of the world. Remember Isaiah, a light has dawned, a new day has dawned. The light of God, the truth, the hope, the peace of Christ has dawned in our life. Light opens our eyes and we can see more clearly. We can see God for the first time. You see, the Christian is not somebody that thought one day I'm going to find God. The Christian is one who, where the light of God has shone on their life and opened their eyes to see and believe and behold the beauty and the work of Jesus Christ. And they believed in him and in that belief, in that faith, have received relationship with God. Jesus is about clarity and truth and reality. A searchlight when you're lost in darkness is the biggest relief that you can have. Hey, Jesus is that for you today. He came and he is the light of the world. Searching for those who are lost in darkness. It's what Jesus did. He's the light. And maybe you're here this morning and you say, do you know what, I I don't have a problem with God. I don't believe I'm lost, I'm just not interested. I don't believe there's a problem between me and God, I'm just not really that bothered and interested. But you see, the Bible makes it very clear that it's not really just an issue of whether you're bothered or not. In Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul, he talks about that the heart that is without Christ, the heart that's led by the flesh, the heart that the person in their mind that just says, well, I do what I want. I'm Lord of my life. I'm, I'm king of my life. I make what I want of my life. I do what I want. That heart, that life is led by the mind that is hostile to God. So nobody's neutral to God. You're, you're at war with God. You're an enemy of God. And you might say, no, 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 I'm just disinterested. No, no, you're not. The Bible makes it really clear that without Christ, you're an enemy of God. You hate him. You loathe him. You're hostile to him. But Christ's light shines. And we love him because he first loved us. And that light brings us a revelation of what God is like. And just as we said right at the beginning, it shows us that God loves you. Isn't that amazing? Jesus came into history in reality and he came with glory. And and lastly, he comes to save. Jesus came to save. This is the hope of the Christmas message. This baby laid in a manger that was born, Emmanuel, God with us, is the good news that he has come to save. A saviour has been born. That's the shout of Christmas. That's why we celebrate Christmas and remind one another. That's why we take a moment just to pause and reflect on what it means. Because a saviour's been born. A rescuer. A one who can redeem and has the power to save and rescue. And not just from, not just from the small trivial things of life, but from the big issues of life. In Matthew chapter 1, um, Matthew wrote this in his gospel. He said, talking about Joseph, Mary's husband. He said, but after, the, after he, Joseph, had considered... The situation with Mary and decided in his heart to divorce her quietly. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save people from their sin. 
The name Jesus comes from the name Joshua, which, which literally means the Lord saves. God saves. And Jesus is the means by which God saved. God gave his son to save. That's why Jesus was sent. To save us from our sin primarily. To save us from the wrath of God that is due on each one of us primarily. We are in a mess and we're walking around and, and many, of, many people in this world don't realise we're in a mess. But we are spiritually, we're broken and dead to God. But Jesus came and rescued us and he gives us new life, new birth. And you might be sat here and you say, do you know, it just sounds like religious mumbo jumbo. It just sounds so religious. I just, I just don't believe it for a moment. Let me just tell you what being saved, being rescued by Jesus means for us. It means that he's forgiven us for the things we've done wrong and are morally accountable for before a holy and loving God. It means to deliver us from the force of darkness and addiction that binds us and holds us that we cannot shake ourselves free from. It's not some people have addictions to certain issues and challenges in their life. It's that we are all addicted and broken and have compulsions and are bound to things in this life, whether spiritually or physically. We are bound beings, broken, tied up in knots, men and women who are fractured in all kinds of ways. And Jesus comes and rescues us. He delivers us from that force of addiction. It means that he's come to heal us and cleanse us. So even if this morning you're sat here and you're a victim of some horrific situation, maybe at the hands of somebody else, or you made a decision once in your life that's had lasting consequence, either emotionally or has scarred you in some way physically. Do you know? Jesus coming as our saviour to come and rescue us and redeem us and reconcile us means that he brings us healing and cleanses us. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that the message? I know I need that in my life. That's the message I need is that I'm loved and cleansed. He doesn't just say, right, okay, now go. I'm here, now you go and be good. He says, I'm going to work on you. I'm going to cleanse you. I'm going to wash you clean. I'm going to give you new life and a new hope. And it means that he's restored us into right relationship with our heavenly father. Jesus restored us into relationship with his father. He's the means by which we are made right with God. It's amazing, isn't it, that, that God's plan to send his son rescues and saves and restores us. It also means that our relationships can be put right with other people. It means you don't have to work in your own strength to try and make things right any longer. But, but it means that God's with you, empowering you to live a life that reflects what God is like. See, God didn't send his son Jesus to make you feel guilty. He sent his son to say, I love you. I love you. One writer, he put it like this. If our greatest need had have been for information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had have been for technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had have been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had have been for pleasure, God would have sent us an artist or an entertainer. But our greatest need is forgiveness. So God sent us a saviour. So just quickly, I just want to finish with this, answering this question. How? Okay, so God became, took on flesh, became like one of us born into a stable, born in history, born into the reality of this world that we live in, born with glory, bringing light into darkness, angels declaring, hey, peace on earth, goodwill to men. God came and 
I forgot my last point. He came to save. Thank you. He came to save and rescue us from our sin. But how does he do it? How does he do it? You see, Jesus was born not just to be the nice baby Jesus. Not just to be, not just to be a friend. But he was born to come and die. He demonstrated the love of God to us in this, that even while we were dead in our sins, haters of God, enemies of God, he went to the cross. That's why you can't detach Christmas as an isolated story from Easter. He went to the cross on your behalf and on my behalf. And there upon the cross, at the hands of men, he was nailed to the cross to to death. And in that process, he had the sins of the world placed upon him. All our guilt, all of our shame. All of our sin were placed upon him and he paid the price that we should have paid, which is death. And in that moment, he was separated from his father. And in his separation from his father, he took what was rightfully ours as though it was his own and gave us what was his and made it rightfully ours. If we receive him by faith. Isn't that just incredible? That God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, even to death upon a cross. That's the hope of the Christmas story. It's the hope that we have God who who is not far off and distant. So that John Lewis advert of of the home where the party's taking place and, and then the old guy who's alone on the moon, just distant and separate from God. You see, many of us think that's what relationship with God looks like is it's, I'll look at you through a telescope and, and you look at me through, through a telescope and we'll kind of get to know little bits and pieces about one another. The story of the Christmas message is simply this, God loves you, come home. God loves you, come and celebrate in the, with the party, with the people of God. God loves you, know that he hasn't just sent you a telescope that you might see him from afar, he sent you his son that you might be rescued and see him one day face to face. You see, in Christ we see God. In Christ we're rescued and welcomed home. He's not like the other gods and other goddesses of other religions who stand off afar like the queen on, I mean, she's great by the way, but like the queen on the train where that makes the news. Hey, this is good news. The God of all creation, the God who holds everything together by the might of his word right now. The God that everything exists for and finds its meaning and its purpose and its being in came and drew near to you and I that we might know him and have relationship with him. I tell you, there is no other God like him. He is unique. He is utterly different. I love that that quote at the beginning that um, Peter Wilby said that, hey, this story is different. The, The Christmas story is a story of hope and of peace. You want to know what the answer to peace in the Middle East is? You want to know what the answer to peace in your life circumstances or the frustrations? I just, I don't want to embarrass anybody. There was a lady who came the other week for the first time and she, she said to me at the end, she just came up and said, thank you so much for today. She said, I've been battling circumstance in my life for years, quite big circumstance. And she said, I don't have a problem with God, but I've been doing it in my own strength. I've been shouting at people and, and fighting for stuff in my own strength. But she said, I came and I realized that, hey, wow, why am I fighting myself when God is for me? And in that moment, she, she said, I went home. This was the previous Sunday. She, and she said, I went home last week. And, and she said, and I prayed to God. I said, God, I'm, I've been fighting in my own strength. I can't do it. 
and nothing changes, no matter how much I fight, no matter how angry and tied up in knots I get around my own situation and circumstances, nothing changes. She said, I pray to God, and I woke up the next day and I had utter peace. Hey, that's what God's like. That's the offer, as he says, come and know peace. Not just come and have peace sprinkled on, on bits of your life. Come and know the prince of peace, the hope of the world. So i just love us to, sorry, we're going by five minutes. I'd love us to go out with singing and celebrating. I'd love us to go out with taking this bread and juice quickly and going and blessing one another and say, hey, by the way, as I give you this body of Christ, broken, given for you, reminding us of the new covenant hope that we have in God, that new relationship through Christ. We're saying to one another, hey, not only did God come 2,000 years ago in Christ, but he's here with us right now. We are the body of Christ one to another, and we're reminding each other of that. And maybe for you this morning, you say, I, I don't believe it. I, think it's all, I still think it's a fairy tale. I still think it's far-fetched. Can I just invite you to genuinely consider coming on the Alpha course, on the Alpha Supper, just to come and hear a story of how God transforms lives, to come and ask deep questions, to bring objections to the Christian faith. We'd love to invite you to that. But maybe you're here this morning and you're just saying, do you know, I can't say before right now I've ever encountered the love of God personally. I can't say, let alone have, I've had a relationship with God, but there's something in me right now that's excited by that thought that God so loved me that he sent his son for me. And maybe you're saying to yourself, I want to know that kind of love and hope and peace this morning through Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus came and he brought grace and truth to us. And you can, this morning, you don't have to wait till you one day see him face to face for that reality to break in. Just like the lady the other week, she said, it's broken in now. And this morning, maybe you're far from God, but you're saying, I need that in my life. That can be your reality today. The God of history the God of reality, the God of glory, the God who saves. He can, be, he can be the one that you place your faith in and receive new life this morning. So maybe for the first time you'd like to take this bread and juice that reminds us of Jesus' death for us and his resurrection. So I invite you to do that. And if you do that for the first time, I'd love to just get to pray with you and maybe talk with you a bit more about, okay, what does this mean? Because Jesus isn't just a Christmas decision, a bit like dogs aren't for Christmas. He becomes Lord of your life and he frames all of your life. From here on out, he'll become Lord. So it means he'll change everything, but for the better. And so if that's you this morning, we'd love to invite you to come for the first time, take this, this meal as we celebrate Christ is Lord. He is risen and he is the gift of God that saves, rescues, and redeems. Listen, let's stand. We're just seeing a couple of verses. We'll break bread and you can carry on. And maybe just right now, you'd like to go and collect your children from their groups. Um, but let's just be a blessing to one another. If you want to be prayed for at all, we'd love to pray for you as well. That would be our privilege to do so.